This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Joshua Maddox? So first I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the disappearance, then offer my analysis. Joshua Maddox was born on March 9, 1990. He grew up in Woodland Park, Colorado. This town is about 20 miles west of Colorado Springs and has about 7,500 residents. His parents divorced when he was young. Josh lived with his father and his two older sisters. Josh also had an older brother named Zachary, who was described as severely depressed. Josh appeared to be fairly well-adjusted. He was described as intelligent and carefree. He had a number of friends. He was interested in writing music and playing the guitar. He liked spending time outdoors. On June 1, 2006, Josh's older brother, Zachary, ended his own life, presumably due to the depression. Josh was understandably devastated by this loss. Outside of this, Josh had been getting along fairly well. People who knew him thought of him as happy. On May 8, 2008, Josh told his sister that he was going for a walk, and he left the house. This was a common activity for him. He went hiking alone frequently. His sister was not alarmed by this at all. Josh Maddox would never be seen alive again. Josh would not be reported missing for five days. A search effort was initiated. People searched the nearby wooded areas and the neighborhood. There was no sign of him. One of his sisters assumed that Josh had simply taken off to start a new life. She thought that maybe someday he would come back and introduce a wife and small children to his family, like he just ran off, built his whole life, and then returned. She pictured him writing novels or playing music to make a living, perhaps even doing this as he lived alone in the woods. In August of 2015, an 80-year-old builder named Chuck Murphy was demolishing an old cabin on Meadowlark Lane. This cabin was in the middle of a large plot of land. It was about 50 feet from the road and surrounded by pine trees. It was less than a mile away from Josh's home. Murphy was trying to clear the land so he could build 32 new family homes. He had purchased the cabin in the 1950s. Murphy's brother lived in the cabin until 2005, but after that, the cabin was basically used as a storage facility, and it was the home to various wild animals who had decided to move in. The cabin was in a state of disrepair. Murphy did not notice anything unusual about the cabin the few times that he had visited it since his brother moved out. As Murphy's demolition team started to work on dismantling one of the two chimneys in the structure, Murphy discovered a mummified body inside the chimney of the cabin. A thermal t-shirt was the only clothing on the body. It was in a fetal position with the legs above the head. Chuck Murphy notified the authorities. The body was later identified as belonging to Joshua Maddox. The autopsy determined that Josh had no drugs in his system. There were no broken bones, no knife wounds, no indication at all that he was murdered. It is believed that he died from either hypothermia or dehydration. Hypothermia was determined to be a little more likely because around the time of his disappearance, the high temperature was only in the 20s. 
the coroner ruled accidental death on September 28, 2015. The theory was that Josh was trying to burglarize the cabin when he became stuck in the chimney. Some of the circumstances surrounding Josh's death did not seem to be consistent with the accidental death ruling. I will go through each item. Item number one, there was a large wooden breakfast bar blocking the chimney from the inside. The breakfast bar had been ripped from the wall in the kitchen and dragged across the floor. Item number two, a thick wire mesh had been installed inside the chimney at the time it was built. It was only one row of bricks from the top. This was done to keep animals or other objects from getting in through the chimney. The coroner explained that there was no mesh in any of the photographs of the scene, so there was some doubt as to whether that mesh was really there. The coroner also thought that perhaps the mesh had rusted. Murphy was not convinced by this argument. All the metal from the cabin was collected for scrap during the demolition process. It makes sense that the wire mesh was collected as well. Nobody would have thought anything of it. The mesh had no special significance at that time. Murphy believed the mesh was in place prior to the start of the demolition process. It's worth noting that Murphy could have remembered the wire mesh through a liability-induced recall, meaning somebody died on his poorly maintained property and he was concerned about potential litigation. Item number three, Josh's legs were above his head, suggesting that he had tried to climb down the chimney head first. This would be highly unusual. Similarly, no one would go up a chimney feet first. Item number four, Josh was only wearing a thermal t-shirt. The rest of his clothes were found inside the cabin, folded next to the fireplace. The burglary theory just didn't seem to make sense if his clothes were already in the cabin. So he broke in, or otherwise made entry into the cabin, ripped the breakfast bar out of the kitchen and blocked the chimney, removed almost all of his clothing, walked outside, climbed up to the top of the chimney, and went down the chimney head first, or tried to climb up the chimney feet first. The coroner decided to take another look and revise the ruling. Now it was accidental death, murder, or undetermined causes. I'm not sure this cause of death could be any more non-specific. A few different anonymous tips came in to law enforcement about this case. One tip was about a man named Andrew Richard Newman. He allegedly had been involved in violent crimes and had been associated with Josh. The police never named him as a suspect. There's really not much reason to believe Andrew was involved. There's this whole big story around Andrew. We see it was promoted on Reddit, this idea that he was somehow connected, but it really appears to be just rumors. There doesn't seem to be any concrete connection between Andrew and Josh. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. 
convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. At the time making this video, the case of Joshua Maddox remains unsolved. Now moving to my analysis. Before I get to the theories about what happened in this case, let's take a quick look at some other cases that involve people who encountered the Grim Reaper in a chimney. I think this could provide some context when developing theories for the case of Joshua Maddox. In Britain, during the 18th and 19th centuries, Chimneys were often cleaned by boys, because they were small enough to get in there. It was a dangerous occupation. Getting stuck resulted in death from positional asphyxia. I guess this was prior to the technology of a long stick with some type of abrasive material on the end. In modern times, chimney deaths are rare, but it still occurs from time to time. There was a case in 1977 in Los Angeles where a 14-year-old male got stuck in the chimney of a halfway house, He did not survive. In 1978, there was another case in Los Angeles. A guy who was allegedly high on drugs died in a chimney. In Florida in 1986, a burglar tried to enter an empty house through the chimney and became stuck. Neighbors heard screaming, but they didn't worry about it. Two days later, workers heard tapping. They didn't care either. Two days after that, the owner of the house returned and found the body. There was another similar case in New York in 1989. This time, the burglar was trying to get into a restaurant. He became stuck and died. Workers found his legs dangling from the chimney the next day. In 1990, another case in New York involved two burglars who died after getting stuck at the bottom of a chimney of a grocery store. It's not clear if they were trying to get into or out of the store. In 1998, in Sacramento, a 12-year-old male died in a chimney. In 2010, in Bakersfield, California, A physician tried to enter the house of her estranged boyfriend. The ex-boyfriend wanted to avoid a confrontation, so he fled out of the back door. The physician used a ladder to get to the roof, removed the cap off the chimney, and slid down feet first. She became stuck and eventually died. The police searched the house two days later, but didn't find her. The day after this, a woman checking on a fish tank smelled an odor and called the authorities. In California in 2015, An alleged burglar got stuck in a chimney, and the homeowner lit a fire in the fireplace. The homeowner heard screaming and called the police, but the heat and smoke already killed the alleged burglar. As we can see from reviewing other chimney-related deaths, many of them happened during the course of a burglary. When looking at the case of Joshua Maddox, there are really only three theories about what happened. Theory number one, Joshua decided to bring an end to his own life. Joshua's brother had brought an end to his life in 2006. Perhaps Joshua was depressed as well, and the combined stress of his brother dying was too much to handle. What doesn't make sense about this theory is the method. This would be an incredibly uncommon way to carry out this task. Theory number two, someone murdered Joshua and stuffed his body 
in the chimney. So either they went to the top of the cabin and pushed him down, or they pushed him up from the fireplace. This would explain the location of his clothes and why the breakfast bar was moved, like they were trying to block him in and or hide the fact that he was up there. Other than the clothes and the breakfast bar, there was no other evidence to support the idea that somebody else was there with Josh. Theory number three, like so many of the examples I talked about, Joshua voluntarily entered the chimney, became stuck, and died as a result. Perhaps he was attempting to burglarize the cabin. Some of the physical evidence contradicts this theory. If we look at the breakfast bar and the wire mesh, those two items can be explained pretty easily. The breakfast bar had already been in that position. Someone put it there to block cold air from coming in, like perhaps somebody who had burglarized the cabin before, like somebody vandalizing the place just pushed that breakfast bar there. As far as the wire mesh, it had rusted or Josh had simply removed it before entering the chimney. Again, it would have been collected as scrap, so it would not have been on the scene when his body was discovered. The real problem would be Joshua's clothing being folded next to the fireplace. This is harder to explain. Why would he enter the cabin, remove almost all of his clothing, and try to climb up the chimney or go outside and climb down the chimney? He was not under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and clearly he already had access to the cabin. So, he didn't need to get in. He was already there. His clothes were folded next to the fireplace. When looking at all the evidence, how would I rank these three theories from most probable to least probable? I would say that theory number three is the most probable. He voluntarily entered the chimney. We have seen this type of behavior before. It never makes any sense why people do it, but it does happen. There is some precedent established. Perhaps Josh thought it would be fun. He just wanted to see if he could do it. He thought he would have a better chance of navigating the chimney without wearing many clothes. After theory number three, I would move to theory number two, homicide. It could be that the coroner was unable to find injuries indicating he was killed because pretty much only Joshua's skeleton remained. Finally, I would go with theory number one, Joshua no longer wanted to remain alive. Other than the circumstances surrounding Joshua's death, there are a few other curious items here. First item, why did Joshua's father wait five days to report him missing? I don't think this points to any foul play, but it does seem like a bad idea. Had Joshua gone missing before and returned, therefore the sensitivity to him missing was reduced. It's not clear what happened, but he should have been reported missing sooner. Second item, when searching for a missing person, it's important to check everywhere they could have gone. Considering that Joshua was a teenager, it's not unthinkable that he could have wandered into an abandoned cabin. I don't know why they would have skipped that as a potential place to look. Third item, when somebody disappears under non-suspicious circumstances, all of the options are still available. People project all types of hopes onto this massive uncertainty. They believe what they need to believe about the person who disappeared. Here we see how people believed he had run off and started a new life. There are all these ideas about how he could be thousands of miles away, and yet he was less than a mile away. Fourth item, sensation-seeking and impulsivity are a deadly combination. Some decisions are so unwise that they are virtually impossible to predict. No one would assume that anyone would ever go into a chimney. Some people blame Santa Claus for supplying this idea of using a chimney to enter a home, 
but I think it's really common sense not to enter a chimney. Sometimes survival is dependent on common sense, but often there is not enough of it to go around. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.